Hello and welcome to Out of Office. My name is Johnny Caldor and this is a podcast where I get to take walks with interesting people in media and find out what makes them tick. This is uh, episode five and it's actually the second part of an episode I recorded a few weeks ago with Katie Vanek-Smith. And if you haven't heard that yet, I definitely recommend you stop right now, turn around, go and listen to that one. It's episode four and then come straight back. It's uh, it's a really good insight into Katie's time working at News Corp. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about Tortoise Media. Tortoise is a company that Katie founded alongside James Harding and Matthew Barzen just over a year ago. And it's a very different sort of news media organization centered around membership, uh, but also with a very different type of journalism. Um, I'll let Katie explain exactly how it works. So over to me and Katie for part two, and I'll speak to you at the end. We should talk about tortoise. I think a lot of people listening to this probably know what a tortoise is, but it would be good to hear from the founder how you describe it. Well, co-founder, because um, the idea of Tortoise is actually my co-founder's James Harding, uh, his idea. And um, James and I, or James, you know as well, because James was the editor of The Times that I got after Robert Thompson lied to me (laughs) and told me that, oh, no, 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 I'm not going off to the Wall Street (laughs) Journal. I'll be your editor when I came back from The Telegraph. And... uh, Within a couple of months, there was this man called James Holding, and he was my editor. And um, the youngest ever editor of the Times, right? Yep. And um, when we did, well, so when we did the 2010 paywall, James was one of the editors we worked with. You know, we had yes. James on the Times, didn't we? And we had John Witherow on the Sunday Times. Yep. And um, so I got to know James then. When I. Uh, went off to the beat uh, when I went off to Journal. the Wall Street Journal James had already left news or as he says had been resigned by <laughs> news um, to go to the BBC and so I remember getting a call at my desk in New York so I'm at my uh, desk in News Corps HQ 1211 Avenue of Americas, you know, mm-hmm. the big, one of those big imposing new, New York skyscrapers. I'm on my desk, I'm sitting at my desk and the phone goes and it was James Harding saying, you may have seen the news that I'm leaving the BBC. And I said, yeah, I saw the news. And he's like, I'm going to set up my own business. To which I went, interesting. He said, oh, why interesting? I was like, well, what do you know about running a business, James? <laughs> And he said, well, that's why I'm calling you. And I said, oh, lovely, but let's be clear. I'm very happy. I've got a great job here, living in New York. Yeah. President of the Wall Street Journal. I'm having a lovely time. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm not calling you to offer you a job. Don't flatter yourself. Um, I just want to really know what you think about my business idea. And so he said, come, um, you know, are you coming back to the UK anytime soon? It's not critical. I said, I'll be back at Christmas. So I met him for a cocktail in Little House in Mayfair and nice Christmas cocktail. Gosh, those were the days when you actually went into a bar for a drink. And he told me his idea. And really the idea of Tortoise came from the fact that when he was the 
director of news at the BBC, he suddenly realised he was responsible for creating four seconds of news for every second of the day. Right. And he missed wow. as the director of the most amazing news organisation. I mean, the BBC is an unbelievable organisation. Mm -hmm. He missed the ability to stay with the story when it wasn't in the headlines. Uh-huh. So as you remember, James had been the editor on The Times when Andrew Norfolk investigated the sex rings in Rotherham. And it was a very long investigation. Yeah. And ultimately outed all of the sort of council and how the whole structures of power in Rotherham had enabled this ongoing sex grooming ring to, 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 to kind of not only survive, but actually horribly thrive. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he's, he's a journalist who loves the holding power to account, the long-form investigative journalism. And he recognised that he was in an amazing job, in an amazing organisation, but that breaking news was its bread and butter, and actually he missed the slower, what next, the cold case, the investigations. And, and the so, opinion as well? It's hard to have an opinion on, at the BBC, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think he did miss opinion, but I think actually it was the, it was the being able to stay with the story mm -hmm. and to, to stay with it when it was no longer breaking news yeah. and really sort of get to the bottom of it. He's still obsessed, by the way, with the canoe man. Do you remember the canoe man? Oh, he, he supposedly died but didn't. Yeah. Yes. He's like, I'm still obsessed by that story. <laughs> so, you know, so, so he had sort of had that moment just personally. And then he'd also, um, our third co-founder is a gentleman called Matthew Barzen, who at the time was the US ambassador to the UK. Yeah. And if you think back to the end of 2016, we'd had the surprise, in quote marks, outcome of Brexit and Trump. And so you yeah. can imagine James and Matthew sitting together saying, how did we miss that, you know, in plain sight? And actually that sort of, that sort of what he missed personally and what he cares about journalistically personally and the outcome of the sort of 2016 fact that the sort of breaking news and lots of great news organisations had missed the two biggest stories of that year and arguably a decade. this decade, yeah. you know. He's like... There's got to be a better way, you know, and actually, you know, this, this breaking news is brilliant, but actually we're losing breaking news coupled with the accelerated age of social media, the constant need for stream. And so lots of traditional newspaper journalists have become as obsessed with the breaking news as breaking news organisations mm -hmm. were. So, you know, for him, he felt there was a gap. He felt there was a an opportunity for journalistically there to be a slower, wiser form of news, hence the name Tortoise. Yep. Um, and <laughs> more interestingly, I think, and the reason ultimately six months later, after I'd told him what I thought of his idea and rewrote his, you know, rewrote his business plan <laughs> on a napkin and just said, I'd think about it this way, not that way. Yep. And why ultimately six months later, I took the call to, you know, give it a go, is that actually it wasn't just that it's a great journalistic idea. I think it does solve a problem in that people do feel overwhelmed by the news cycle. There was, def there's definitely a, there was definitely a sense that 
people were getting anxious and turning off because they couldn't keep up and it was all very much of the same and actually the thing I care the most about is that you know the business model for what I call mass media in publishing is still not cracked and it you know all the qualities have now got a a way forward yeah but it's really hard if you're the sun or the regionals. Or the regionals. Which we should talk about in a bit, actually. You know, and all of these sort of really important, you know, journalistic um, brands and businesses, you know, the, the you know, bedrock of fair and democratic societies, in my opinion, mm -hmm. they're still struggling to find what their equivalent of the Times' digital subscription model is for, for their businesses. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. So... Tortoise is a membership organisation. And was it when he brought the idea to you, was it a membership? No, it was more of a subscription organisation because yeah. obviously it was du jour because Spotify, Netflix, right. BarkBox, Birchbox, everyone was building a subscription business. Yes. Um, it, but so, so I gave, and it was also focused on launching a, a slow journalism product, so a mobile first slower investigative journalism product that might have got to an open newsroom but that was sort of the third thing on his list of things we would do and yeah. I said all sounds great the world doesn't need another journalism business what it needs is that your open idea so slow yes tick I get that but mm -hmm. the thing that's different about tortoise ultimately is its openness and that it's built with and for members yes and we got a lot of criticism when we launched like we got when we did the paywall in 2010 and it and it's so funny it's like the same voices so um emily bell who used to be at the guardian right and is now at columbia really smart um you know really thoughtful a journalist who now is sort of at columbian journalism school and sort of in the in the whole ecosystem of journalism teaching journalism the business of journalism mm -hmm. you know sort of said, oh, look, it's a uh, club for the, you know, rich... Right, the liberal elite. Liberal elite. elite. Yeah. And actually, it's not, because actually for every paid membership, we, every paid-for membership, we actually have a, a sort of Tom's Shoes model, a one-for-one. Uh -huh. one. Mm -hmm. So for every paid-for member of Tortoise, we have a funded membership, which we then work with other organisations who are working... Um, in communities that are either disadvantaged, underrepresented in news, so that might be young, BAME, lower socioeconomic classes, equally scarily older readers, you know, because uh -huh. the digital exclusion yes. is actually at both sides of the uh, age and d d d demography. And so, you know, Tortoise is open, it is a membership organisation, but actually at its heart, you know, the idea is that we care about how we build the membership. So, you know, we're at sort of our membership sort of world and ecosystems now over 40,000 members. Um, and within that, for every, pay, as I said, for every paying member, yep. there is a network member. So what, what, what I love about the approach you've taken and where it's got to is that when, when the first conversation we had, or, you know, however long ago it was, and you talked about it being a membership, 
and how you set the member at the heart and then you build the proposition around the member rather than we've got some content now let's sell it as a subscription and pretend it's a membership was it was such a great narrative but it could have so easily ended up being a subscription called a membership but it's so clearly not that it's so clearly a membership tortoise members really are members of something it's funny how it is true they are there, there was do you know the first time we realized it it wasn't a conceit it was a reality right was we did really early on we did member breakfasts yes i remember um and we did them both in our newsroom but we also did about 15 around the country we sort of went and met members in lots of different places uh-huh. and in one of the very first ones that we hosted in our newsroom in london just off oxford street um we were just sort of they were hosted by myself and James and Liz, who's our members editor. And we were asking a question about, do you like the mix of stories? Have we got it right? Are we, are we, are we staying true to our promise to you to slow down, wise up, to go behind the story? Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a sort of, you could call it a focus group, but actually it wasn't. It was a proper chat. It was a member's breakfast. It didn't have the spirit of a focus group. It was like, we really want to build this with you. Yeah. And one, the first person who spoke, this is really early on, said, well, I think the thing we need to do. <laughs> and James Brilliant. welled up. He yes, got quite teary. Yep. Because I don't think he'd really believed, you know, you know me, I, can, I, I, I sell things quite hard. So if I believe in something, I sell it. To the point that I think, you know, people buy it. And I think James was like, he wanted membership to be a thing. Yep. But he hadn't fully bought it. And at that moment, he was like... Our okay. job is done. Well, no, <laughs> well, our, jo- our, job just, yeah, our job has just begun. Um, but it was great. I think the same. And I th- honestly, I think this should be a case study. The way that you, the way that we, because we were heavily involved, I guess. So, so the way we created the founding membership, yep. starting from the Kickstarter, telling them that it's going to launch in April and they're going to start paying from April. But hey, we're going to give you something in January. Yeah. And you are, you're going you're gonna to be part of the process to define what our product's going to be. And yeah. I think that, that had the same effect, that people in the beta program were part of the process. And they were, they were being asked their opinion about everything, not just the technology, but the journalism yeah. and, and everything around it. I thought that was so powerful in terms of creating loyalty and advocacy for the brand and a sense of belonging. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, I mean, we're doing this walk now in the slightly relaxed social distancing world of lockdown in in COVID. And the... We're following what country? There is definitely a country where a metre apart is is apt. Oh, it's all countries apart from UK and Spain. So we're following... UK and Spain are two metre rule. Everywhere else is one metre. Yeah, so we're we're following Um, WHO guidelines. (laughs) But the... The thing that um, that's really interesting is obviously early tortoise, and we're still really early on in our life cycle, really. Early tortoise, those founding members you talk about, they are they're people who are used to participating in our thinkings, so our open journalism, our open news conference, yep. in our newsroom in London, off Oxford Street, or in rooms on the road when we went around the UK. Uh And um, 
we decided to work from home, I think like you did, a little earlier than lockdown. Yes. And as soon as we decided to work from home, we can obviously host think-ins. So we turned our in-newsroom think-ins, daily think-ins, into digital within 48 hours of agreeing to work from home. Yeah. And a week before the lockdown hit the UK. And we've now been doing these digital think-ins with our members for 12 weeks. Yeah. And when we went into lockdown, I think 18% of all members had been to a think-in, which was pretty impressive, right? Given we had one newsroom (laughs) and we went on the road at least once a week up and down the country to different places. But now, sort of 12 weeks later, not only has our membership grown by over 12,000, you know, we're 42,000. Wow. In the, you know, we went in with about 30. We're, we've got about 42 now in the membership. That's amazing. Tortoise membership world. Um, but, but what's really interesting is 35% of those have been to a thinking. Yeah. And so, and I was really worried about digital thinkings actually, because we always knew we were going to have to do them. Because to your point about feeling like a member, would we be able to pull that off? Would it work? There's something really special about turning up into a newsroom and sitting at the desk that Matt Dancona normally sits at and, you know, having a glass of wine and meeting other members and coming before the conversation and thinking and staying after the thinking. You know, it sort of, it was a bit TED Talk meets Soho House. You know, it had that sort of spirit of a members club in the newsroom and the sort of conversations that you'd have got from a TED talk. And so I was a bit worried about it, but I needn't have been. And okay, it's early and none of us know um, how exactly things will stay or change when we are back in a world where we can actually physically meet again in our newsroom, which obviously we are desperate to do not just as a team but also for our members yeah but we're not going to the digital thinking's here to stay right and what's been what's been brilliant is that the accessibility of a digital room means that the network members have exploded in their participation so all of the building blocks that we'd put in place have just like gone bananas and it's just been amazing because the rooms now are properly inclusive totally diverse and different to any news meeting i have ever sat in in my 25 years in the industry i think also it's 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 the little things the fact that they're zoom meetings rather than zoom webinars. broadcast yeah. webinars it makes such a huge difference to see Say the people. The faces of yeah. the members. And you see someone you know and you, you can message them. And I think it, that, that's crucial to yes, give that sense of being part of it. We've obviously experimented, haven't we? We've experimented yeah. with the sort of... We have done some webinars, you know, to have more than a 1,000 people on them because yeah. 
there are limits to how many people you can have in a meeting. Yeah. You can have up to a thousand in Zoom, but we've decided actually that if it's more than 500, you lose the intimacy. Yeah. So we've, had, we've taken some calls, but yeah, but it's those been great. numbers as well, it's hilarious, right? So we were happy with 50. 80 people. Or 50 50, to 80. Yeah, and now it's 1,700. Yeah. And we're Amazing. like, you know. But no, it's been a... But, they, you know, to your point about membership, I mean, we've had... We used to always get nice member feedback. But we've genuinely had just lovely yeah. feedback from members. And... Look, I mean, we're tiny still, you know? We're just over a year old. Um, you know, but you definitely feel that we come out of this with some momentum. And we sort of went into lockdown with a membership proposition that was executed like this. Mm-hmm. And we're coming out and we're executing it completely differently. Yeah. Um, and now it's just a sort of question of we're a startup in... Um, what are going to be pretty tough times. And yeah. what do you think the future holds? What, for... for tortoise. For life, the universal tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just start with tortoise and then um, we'll go from there. Look, we're a start-up. We're, we're a well-funded start-up. We yes. set out to raise money to give us three years of runway. We're two years into that runway. And a massive recession is potentially well it's here yeah and we have no visibility on what shape the recovery is so you know we we're doing like like so many other businesses you know what was you know a nine month runway we're you know we'll be we've thought through ways to make sure that we can extend that so, you know, we've got a really good run at this, but we need a bit of luck, like so many other people right now. Um, but I think we've got a proven model um, that people do want to belong to newsrooms. They do want to be part of the conversations that shape the journalism. Yep. They do want their voices to be heard. And, you know, in how we report you know the thinking is this organized system of listening and we're increasingly doing a lot more audio output so it's kind of we listen you listen together we learn there's a real spirit and our there's a real spirit and there's a real sense i think of momentum in tortoise which is a bit like the early independent where they came in and they were so different yeah to the industry and they and they made the industry better you know they made us they made us care about convenience for our readers they made you know they were the first paper to change their shape yeah you know they they, they were sort of really innovative and they did things really differently and okay their business is very different now to the way they entered the market you know, they don't have a newspaper anymore, like a physical newspaper. They've got a fantastic digital edition, though. They do. And they're also <laughs> profitable, aren't they? They are. And More so, profitable than the Telegraph, apparently. Yeah. And so they, they've... They, you know, that, that spirit... Um, you know, I think 
Yeah, when did the indie launch? In the 80s? Early 90s? I can never remember. Yeah, they went to print only in 2016. Because we were... But they were like... Yeah, I don't know, they were like... I remember them, they were like there in my early formative years as a kind of new entrant. But their marketing was genius. Oh, so good. It is, are you? I mean, everyone still remembers yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, So I think in the way that the independent came in and created a sort of an impetus and an innovative, you know, set of thinking for the industry, I think taught us in, in our small way are doing something similar. Um, I think that the difference is that actually because of at the heart of what we do is the thinking, we're, we're, we're sort of probably not comparison, we're not a good comparison to the traditional world that I grew up in and I spent most of my career in. And we're probably, like I say, much more like a TED Talks meets Soho House meets The Economist. And somewhere in the middle, there's a tortoise. And um, so I think the future for tortoises, I think it, it is exciting with, with, with a bit of luck, right? We need the economic recovery and sort of path for all of us to be a little more on the optimistic side than yeah. the difficult side. But, you know... Um, we haven't, we haven't wasted the crisis. Well, it occurs to me that in this world of, you know, super low barriers to entry for most things these days, it's still a really expensive business, isn't it? I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to do a tortoise without some serious money behind you. It's hard, right? There are people doing it. But, um, you know, journalism is, is, is not cheap. No. Um, and it is why many of the brands that we love are, you know, weren't profitable for many, many years. Yeah. And sort of equally, it's where if you're the BBC or Sky, news is a really important part of what you do, but it's not where you make your money. I mean, the BBC's have got a different funding model, but yeah. Sky don't make their money from Sky News. Um, so... It is a, it's a, it, there is a public service in it. I mean, you mentioned local news before. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So what, what would you do if you were running NewsQuest or Archant or Reach? Really difficult because they, they are more entrenched in the ad model mm. than the nationals. Were. I mean, you know, many of them have responded to the last 20 years by making the products free in print. Yep. Um, hello. So, for a business that is critical to people in communities, the fact that their business model is centred around advertisers and not customers is really, I think, at the root of the problem. And you can only solve local news by completely reimagining your business model around the customer. And that's my opinion. And can these companies do that? 
I think it's, I think, I think there will be some that do it, but it's not easy. It's, it's quite late. Um, there are a lot of expensive overheads. Many of them have got pension issues that like blow your mind. Right. Um, and so actually it's really hard for the legacy incumbent businesses yep. to, to, to reimagine themselves as a customer revenue business and make that transition carrying the legacy, the debts and all the other elements of, of the past. So that's where I think you see models like the Bristol Cable, you know, where, you know, they're a startup, they've got thousands of members in Bristol uh-huh. to a community news site. Um, Still advertising driven or no, paying it's, it's, members? No, it's all, it's all consumer driven. Okay. It's all consumer driven. In fact, there's no ads. Um, and, and, and you see more and more of these. You can see, um, you know, there are more, you know, Barclay Cider in the US. There's, there's, there's lots of, um, you know, in the US, the models tend to be patron, philanthropic, pay what you can. Yeah. Um, because they have a much longer history. They have a much longer history of philanthropy and funding public journalism like NPR, their radio, than we do in the, in the UK. Yeah, true. So, um, you know, and The Guardian gets more patronage and philanthropic from the US than it does from the UK because it's right. sort of, it's, 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 a, it's quite a normal ask, whereas in the UK, you know, the sort of patronage approach is a bit weird. <laughs> it's like, just tell me what you want. Tell me what you want me to pay, you know. Um, That'll change, though, don't you think? I think towards us, definitely there's a sense of you're backing something that's a power for good. Yes. Being a member of Tortoise. Yes, but, 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 you know, there is a sort of... I mean, there's a lot of nudge now, isn't there, in the patronage stuff? Because when you open it up, they give you suggested donations, mm-hmm. which is, in effect, pricing. Yes. And pricing architecture and behavioural science and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I do think, you know, there's a sort of sense of... Um, people like to know what the price is. People also like to know that they paid the same as the bloke next to them. You know, that whole... There is a sort of... There is a small proportion of people who like the philanthropic pay what you can yes and i think maybe you know we might see that become more mainstream in the uk but i'm not sure it's going to be as mainstream as it is in the us i suppose is my point yeah but i think look to your point about the local news i think it's really really hard i um but not impossible right i mean But the thing that always strikes me is that I get fearful when I hear the sort of A and B strategy. I get fearful when I hear that all of the new thinking is done over here and, you know, in in this brand or this territory Mm -hmm. or this unit and we're just going to mothball this world over here. Because, you know, I studied history, right? The idea that these brands that have been around since the 18 mid 1800s mm-hmm. and late 18 you know 1800s are going to disappear really upsets me yeah but you know well something has to change 
Well, the, I mean, it, it, from, from, from my mind, it is that you, you start with your purpose as local news is to be at the centre of that community. Yeah. So you start to you build your model out from what that community needs and what they want. You understand how that community model can work. So maybe there is a blended version of neither a consumer model or an ad model. Maybe it's a community model. And maybe that yeah. means that you will have a new, a third business model proposition, which is, you know, community-led funding. Well, I think that's what, isn't that the sort of thing that Matt, Matt Kelly at Archant is definitely, he's putting community at the centre of everything definitely. that he's doing. Definitely. I think the challenge there is how do you, I mean, how do you do it fast enough uh -huh. and how do you do it in a way that enables you know how do you how do you rethink your consumer revenue and your ad revenue to make it community revel, revenue but i know that they're doing some really interesting things um you know there's a and i think the the good thing is that it's not just the matt kelly's and the simon baxes of archant or the jim mullins of reach who are worrying about this you know there are lots of people worrying about it so there are there's a lot more grant and foundation funding available to local news than there's ever been. Mm. And um, so there's definitely the desire and the ambition for, for all of this to be solved. So um, where there's a will, there's a way. It's interesting because in the US you've got, on the one hand you've got this mass consolidation, but then there are also thousands of small to medium newspaper groups you know five six titles each yep. is a small town privately owned that's a whole huge sector of the market which you, i don't think we see that in the uk at all right if it's not reach news quest or Archant, well, no, this is where they've got the bristol cable and you've got others like that popping up yeah that's yeah but th this is this is the older title this is the, 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 oh, the, the, the traditional ecosystem family. in the us yeah, yeah. exactly you know you own newspapers for the five towns yeah. surrounding you yeah. and that, that used to be a, a very wealthy powerful family that probably owned that yeah. and now they're just they're struggling businesses yeah i mean the, the the us it's interesting isn't it but the other the other reason that i think local news and metro news is really important is you just have to look at the current political and societal challenges yeah. of covid-19 Right, which is, it is almost impossible to fight this at a national level. You have to have strong local and, and metro power bases that actually understand those communities to really be able to, I think, execute on a successful kind of post-corona sort of world. And if you look at the challenges pre corona and lockdown you know the political challenges the sort of dissatisfaction between traditional right and left or democrat republican yeah. politics you know the the sort of the global leadership you know that the, the gap between the leaders and the citizens has never been greater and i mean i was struck by a a, a um, fact on a we were on a thinking this week, Madeleine Albright joined us on a thinking on Monday of this week. And um, 
the UN envoy for youth also joined us and she shared the fact that basically 50% of the population of the globe are under 30 but the average age of a politician or an elected leader is 55 and in Africa it's 19 years of age and 66. And so when you think about to your question about local and, and local news it's that's the problem that that's the issue that you that that is happening everywhere which is that gap that lack of accountability representation of the people that you serve and the communities that you're in and the leaders and the brands and the businesses that are there that is the fundamental problem and that is why i unfortunately think some local news will be able to make the change Mm. but others won't i just wonder how people how tied people are to their local community i just is that, is that as much You're a, a Londoner. thing? Well, maybe that's true. Are you here? Are you tapped into the community here in Swindon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the WhatsApp group's gone, gone <laughs> tonto during uh, lockdown. No, the, uh, we've got a community uh, WhatsApp group. And uh, the excellent thing that happened yesterday, it's been very charming for 12 weeks. It's been very charming. She did. Oh, that's good news. Hey, Stan. You're hungry. Would you like me to make you some lunch? Come on. Okay. And you should be outside if the cleaners are in there. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll be there in five minutes, okay? Um, okay. Great to see you. I'm just finishing. Okay. What was the question? No, it's good. I think that was a lovely way to end. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So that's the end of our, what ended up being quite a long, winding and rather windy uh, walk in the end in West Sussex. Um, thanks for sticking it out to the end. And if you did enjoy it, which I'm, I'm guessing you did if you're still listening to this now, um, please do like or subscribe to um, or follow or, or share this podcast. That would be fantastic. Now, also, while I've got you, um, a little plug for something else we've been working on uh, with a couple of companies we work quite closely with, Piano and Manifesto. It's called Building a Subscription Business. And it's a set of masterclasses that we put together, uh, which we've been running for a few weeks now. And if you go to buildingasubscriptionbusiness.com, you can get access to all of the content. We're still running masterclasses over the course of the summer, so you can come and join live. They're hour-long sessions with some really cool people, mainly from within the publishing industry, talking about the sort of thing that we covered on this walk with Katie around reader revenue businesses, subscription businesses, membership businesses, and so on. So please do come along and have a look and see what you think. And if you've got any feedback, do let me know. And apart from that, um, hopefully I'll see you uh, next time in a few weeks time. And take care. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye bye.